0: You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 6th through Sunday, July 9th at picturesque Birds Hill Park, Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Elf, to thank out its free range, and this episode spotlights Evan Redsky. Redsky, formerly a punk band, Single Mothers, started recording under his own name in 2018, and in 2022 he released the album Oblivion. Evan Redsky performing at Spruce Hollow on Sunday, July 9th at 3.30 p.m. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times, to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. the age of 16, he was at
1: Cole on new Turn.
0: All right. Well, coming to the Winnipeg Folk Festival, Evan Redsky, who released his album *Oblivion* late last year, and uh, bringing it for Winnipeg audiences and joining us here on the show. Welcome, Evan.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. (laughs) Now, uh, I mean, you 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 have a connection to Winnipeg because we get our water from Shoal Lake Forty.
2: That's correct. There's a long history there uh, in in terms of uh, the relationship between Shoal Lake and Winnipeg. Absolutely. Yep, I got a lot of relatives and. My entire paternal side of my family is from Shoal Lake 40.
0: Yeah, because I was reading up your, your great-grandfather uh, was a writer and activist. And uh, I, I'm curious, like, did you spend a lot of time with your great-grandfather growing up?
2: No, my great-grandfather passed before I was born. Sorry.
0: No problem. <laughs> so he passed my before you were born. Yeah.
2: Yeah, my great grandfather passed before I was born, but uh, he was actually a World War One veteran. And when he returned to the Lake of the Woods region and and up near Shoal Lake, um, he sort of dedicated the rest of his life to ceremony and um, the culture. Um, in, in so far as that he, he started writing about it and, 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 and journaling and listening to stories of uh, elders in that territory, in that area. And we even have artifacts of um, his writings and his translations today. Um, the University of Toronto Press even published uh, a, a huge, huge, um, not anthology, but a huge book of his work, uh, which is here at the reference library in Toronto. And he's got a few other uh, books that I own here on my bookshelf, uh, including great leader of the Ojibwe. He talks about stories that his great uncles and uncles, um, experienced, you know, um, hundreds of years ago.
0: So, so growing up, I mean, obviously he was, he'd passed before you were born, but like, was that, that history of culture and, you know, telling of story part of kind of like what led you to becoming a, a singer songwriter and a, and a teller of story and, and of indigenous culture?
2: I know in some way um, that that had an influence on me, even even if I didn't know directly. Right. I, I I grew up um, in the Mississauga First Nation in northern Ontario. Um, just outside of Blind River between Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. So I grew up with my maternal side of the family, um, whom are Chiblos. And um, I wasn't really that connected with my Red Sky side until I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old. And at that point, you know, you you hear about this history, but it's never something when you're that young that's like super important to your identity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At that point in time, I was just probably picking up a guitar, bass guitar, just getting into music. But at this stage of my life, it is basically the cornerstone of my writing in in that, you know, this history uh, needs to be told. And there are so many ways in which we can do that. But for me as a musician, it sort of feels in some way like an obligation to carry on those stories and continue the work of my great grandfather.
0: You mentioned just picking up the bass guitar and kind of learning music. You started on single mothers in a a punk band, basically. And yeah, well, you yeah. left yeah. and and started kind of writing your own songs was it like the things weren't resonating or connecting with you in in the punk or in, in the single mother's vein or was there something deeper to that?
2: Well, you know, punk raised me. I discovered punk and metal and hardcore music when I was probably like 13 years old and um by the time I was 18 is when I started and joined the band Single Mothers in London, Ontario while I was at school. And I was in that band till I was 25. So I spent, you know, almost eight years on the road writing and recording with that band. And like all bands, you know, you sort of kind of gain perspective throughout the years and throughout that time and learn things about yourself. And it was just at that point in time, a good time for me to step away um, for my own mental health, physical health and well-being and, and start focusing on myself. And, you know, that entire time and that part of the scene and that era uh, between 2008 and 2015, I maybe met like one or two other indigenous people that played music in my travels, Mm. Uh, especially in punk and hardcore. I never ran into other folks like that. And even in within singer songwriter circles and Americana, it was very few, far few and far between. So I, I, I just decided to maybe try something new. And it's 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 been a journey. And I've been very pleased and proud of the work I've been able to do under this umbrella of Evan Redsky and honoring that history in the process.
0: Did you have a sense of like what your sound would be when you stepped away from single mothers and then started writing your own songs? Like were, were they all in this kind of like roots rock vein or did you kind of like dabble in different styles and figure out which worked?
2: You know, I tried a few different things when I, when I first started, but I've been writing my own music as a solo artist since I was, when I, since I first picked up guitar, you know, um, Back in the days of like pure volume in my space, I was posting music and original music of my own, um, experimental singer, songwriter, basically everything. And I, it took me a long time to start writing things that I felt proud of that I should share with others. Um, but throughout the throughout that time, even during the single mother's era, I was very much writing songs and I was very much playing solo when I could and, and just kind of trying to get that out of my system and figure out what my sound was. But I grew up in northern Ontario and... You know, when you have like one or two radio stations that come in clear, you're going to hear a lot of Neil Young. You're going to hear a lot of the band, Joni Mitchell, all that stuff, you know. And that's kind of what really influenced me deeply, I would say, is a lot of sort of Canadian rock, roots rock, Americana. And it was just a natural sound. And the way I started writing songs, it felt comfortable to me. It felt like a felt like home in some way, you know.
0: Yeah, I read that your mom was a a Blue Rodeo fan, so that was certainly something that you were steeped in as well.
2: Yeah, she she has the biggest crush on uh, Jim Cuddy, and uh, we listened to a lot of uh, Blue Rodeo at the Lake growing up.
0: I don't think she's alone in that crush. I think that's like maybe a (laughs) pan-Canadian feeling. Uh, You you were talking about, you know, even in the the Americana field, being very few Indigenous uh, artists when you were kind of starting out, in, in that state, like, Did you kind of have to figure things out on your own as to kind of like identity and performance and and how you tell story and stuff like that? Or did you look to Indigenous artists in other spaces to kind of like figure out what they did when they were charting a path in a place where there were not a lot of Indigenous voices?
2: You know, even within the last five years, it's sort of been an explosion of Indigenous creativity. Um, But even in 2015, when I decided to go out on my own, I didn't have a lot of references. I didn't have a lot of sort of people in my own backyard that I I immediately knew of. You know, it took me some time. Um, I've always been aware of um, Buffy St. Marie, you know, like a huge influence. Those early protest records still to this day um, hold a lot of water for me. And but like there was only a couple uh, touchstones for me at that point. And it wasn't until even now I'm discovering artists from the 70s and 80s. Even Errol Ranville from the band Seaweed um, has become a huge influence on me and his entire story. And it's those things that are sort of even just coming to light now for me as an Indigenous person closer to the community. It's just starting to happen now, this sort of education for me anyway. But there weren't a lot of us... um, doing what we're doing in this genre this space you know which is largely underrepresented and uh woefully white at times
0: mm-hmm. do you do like a lot of research like are you a, a heavy reader and stuff because i know that the the danny wolf ep was inspired in part by a, a book about him absolutely. and about the indian posse like is that something that informs your songwriting
2: absolutely i mean i'm when it comes to songwriting uh and storytelling it should be informed and it should, you should be honoring the subject in some way. And that's how I feel about it. I feel like I need to understand it um, deeply. Um, But, you know, like with any creative endeavor, uh, there's poetic license, right? And so there are parts of me that are in those songs, parts of my family. And that's just, I think, sort of my process at this point is to is to do the research and to sort of let it live inside of you but then you know once it's filtered through you there's going to be bits of yourself in there as well so yeah it's it's a it's definitely a a bit of both
0: speaking of process is it purpose-driven like do you go into like looking at a topic thinking "I, i would like to do a song about this topic or do you just kind of find yourself reading or exploring things and then processing it through song
2: it's both uh i feel like i have probably like like maybe a dozen songs on the go at all times so on my phone notes i'll have a line or two um i'll have uh music memos um with either melodies or even just subjects i'll be like write about this and then i'll like in detail take notes verbally on my phone so it it, it's it's literally an amalgamation of 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 all those processes and you know sometimes the best songs just happen as long as it takes to sing them is it is to write them but I find in my process because I want to do the due diligence and honor the subjects and honor the storytelling that I need to roll up my sleeves a little bit higher and 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 do justice by the by the by the subject.
0: Do you do a lot of editing then? Like in terms of the the lyrics and stuff? Like do you find yourself kind of going back and refining or revising things to
2: All the time, even for songs I have recorded. Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah, even for songs that are already out, there's certain maybe just verbiage or or descriptive words that I, I'll i I'll, I'll just slightly change. And um, again, if it te- if it gets the point across better, it becomes a stronger song. I'm always sort of looking for ways to improve. Um, so absolutely, absolutely. There's lots of editing and, you know, I'm sur- I surround myself here as much as I can with people who inspire me uh, living here in Toronto. And two of my closest collaborators in the last year, uh, Troy Snattersy and Eric Grice from the band Ultimata. Hmm. Who I also played bass for um for the last year and a half. Um, they they've been a huge uh, uh, help in terms of bouncing ideas off of and and getting because they have such a deep understanding of, of songs. And they're very much at the school of like California, like West Coast like songwriters. so I, and I, I, I you know I really love the music that they make. So I'm always bouncing ideas and and sending notes and demos and 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 you know, just trying to improve the song any way I can. So you do that
0: with your, your bandmates in Alta Do you look at other artists and kind of try to parse what they're doing in terms of, you know, like how they structure a song or, or what they're, what goes into their writing as well?
2: All the time, all the time. It's one of those things. And you play music, um, for as long as I have. And it literally is, I've been, a, been fortunate enough to make a life of music, you know, um, as a musician. And, it's one of those things that has a double-edged sword you love music so much that you begin to like pick it apart every time you know when you understand the process whether it's sonics composition stuff like that but so i'm it's a little harder to find things that i really love but when i really find something that i love i get obsessive and i almost listen to it till i hate it
0: (laughs) just like exhaust yourself on it
2: yeah there's lots of music it's lots of music you know And it, it, everything that you listen to informs the quality of your own music. So I'm constantly looking for new artists and new sounds. And, you know, on this next record that I'm writing now, like it might be a return to something a bit more raucous and experimental, um, just because I've been doing the singer songwriter for the last a few years you know some of the things that we leaned into on the album oblivion uh even the song oblivion uh we're playing with lots of sound and we're and we're going places sonically that i would like to maybe go a little bit deeper on the next one
0: so that's kind of like a suggestion of where you go but you just want to pursue it
2: more absolutely and it's fun and maybe this time around i'll have just a slightly bit more money to be able to do that right because we recorded that album in like four days and like two years ago, live off the floor mostly. So, you know, it was done relatively quickly and it would be nice to just be in there a little longer and have a little bit more fun. So that's obviously done
0: out of financial necessity that, you know, getting it done in four days. But in terms of that live off the floor thing, is that, I know some artists are very partial to that, that just because it captures kind of what it would be like if you saw them on stage so that if if an audience comes, they're not like completely like aghast at the like differences between a, a studio record and a, and a live performance, but like, do you like doing stuff on a record that you couldn't replicate out live?
2: Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it all, and I think at that time. You know, when I started releasing my solo music, you know, I was very much into artists like uh, like uh, all. The, I mean, all the artists that uh, the producer Dave Cobb has worked with, um, you know, including William Prince, who I know is from uh, Manitoba. But artists like Jason Isbell and, you know, I would read these interviews and listen to these um, these studio documentaries about how, you know, the performance of a live band is sort of at that time was kind of slipping away, right? Everything was sort of chopped up and on the grid, even Americana music, uh, singer-songwriter music. And I and I was right there with them and I felt the same way. And having played punk music for the last 10 years before that, I was very much on board with that sort of raw nerve uh, energy of a recording. and. Yeah, but at the same time, like, there's studio albums that I absolutely dig. Uh, with The War on Drugs, you know, who's playing mm-hmm. the Folk Festival. Like, there's a lot to be said for things that are on the grid and things that, you know, just drive, you know. Um, it's all awesome to me. And so, yeah, we we go back and forth. <laughs> for sure.
0: Speaking of going back and forth, is, some of your songs are very personal and some of them are kind of, like, much more, like, topical and, and you know, exploratory in terms of, like, indigenous history or or like activism things like that are either of those harder for you to write or perform like like do you find revealing yourself a more difficult thing or talking about you know societal things and and systemic problems
2: i think the societal songs are a little harder right because for me specifically when i talk about my community i have to be sensitive to everyone's perspective I have to be cognizant of the fact that I shouldn't uh, pan-indigenize our whole community Mm. and and to maybe even remind folks in my lyrics that like I I come from a very specific community in a very specific area. So I'm not trying to speak for everyone. Um, But when I do have a topical song like, you know, the songs that were on the Danny Wolf EP and stuff like that, like I try to make it universal and I try to make it inviting, but it's hard. It's much easier said than done. I can talk about myself all day and my feelings, but there's only so many of those songs, you know, maybe some people I know for me personally, I'd want to listen to on an album, you know.
0: Right. At a certain point, you kind of exhaust yourself as a as a source reference for material.
2: Exactly. Right. And yeah, it's and, and again, it's about having balance and, and being able to have a, a, a bit of everything for people to listen to, enjoy or relate to.
0: You mentioned that you're, you know, working on a new record and that, you know, sonically you're exploring some of more of like the Oblivion style thing. As far as the the record as a whole, like, do you have a concept for it or like kind of an overarching framework for this next record?
2: Well, I was taking a bunch of the B sides from Oblivion and trying to rework them and maybe get a little bit happier with them. And a lot of the subject matter of those songs were really dark. Um, some of the stuff that I thought maybe was a bit too dark for this album, because I really wanted Oblivion to be the 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 breath of fresh air after Oblivion, after you've hit rock bottom. Mm. And I wanted the entire record to feel like that. Right. That darkness to light. And a lot of the B sides lyrically uh, that I'm working on now are really dark. Um, And they were maybe a little bit too sad for the for the first record. But I think what I'm just experimenting with now, and this is very early days, early stages, is 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 trying to make those dark songs sound light, and I'm doing that through production. I'm doing that through how they they're structured sonically, and um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'm over the last year or so. I've I've been fortunate enough to really uh, invest in myself by uh, means of my home studio, and I'm really happy with the setup that I have now. And I've just been absolutely throwing everything at the canvas and um playing with drum machines um you know uh, modulation effects and uh really just trying to just have a lot more fun and maybe go in the box a little bit more in that regard you know where maybe the record is um self-contained to uh being entirely done on the grid and a little more experimental um one of my first singles Uh, Dog Days um, it's a single that's up on my uh, YouTube channel it sounds entirely different than the music I've been making for the last couple years but that song that I did with um, Ian Romano from uh, Daniel Romano's band um, that took a year and a half and I remember at the time it was very frustrating to um, to have back and forth sending files and figuring that all out but that song sonically is so fascinating to me. And I don't even remember how we got all those tones. I remember at one point we had ebos in a room full of acoustics and we were just doing a ton of really fun experimental stuff. And I think I want to kind of maybe channel some of that energy on this next one. So maybe that slow process allowed you the space
0: to do that kind of experimentation. Whereas you wouldn't have had that in a, in a four day session in a studio.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
0: as far as that, like, you know, bringing light to the darkness notion, like, is that so that you can kind of almost disguise the heaviness of the lyrics with like bright, bright, sunshiny type songs. Like, is that the idea? Like, like almost like a delivery system, like, you know, uh, sugar on the coating on a, on a codeine pill or something.
2: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that statement.
0: <laughs> so that's the next record. Uh, before we go, I want to get you to pick a track from the last record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that
2: yeah i think um i think we're going to pick go with uh we just released it uh last friday with its um uh, video supplement um i was in uh england last year on tour with altamita and one of my old friends who's a a director and fashion photographer in in london england uh hit me up and said if i you know if i have a few hours to come and do a video because he knew i was working on this record and i had these songs rolling out and i was like absolutely but this song is actually one of the live off the floor um tracks on the album where there wasn't like any overdubbing of any parts of the record or anything it was me troy and eric sitting in a room three acoustic guitars i believe one of them was a high strung nashville acoustic guitar and their voices and my voice all at once so i was pretty proud of it i think we did like three takes and this was the first one we did um so i would go with floribel and um for those of you who want to check out the video it's pretty cool it's a really moody and black and white but we just released it on uh last friday so yeah
0: all right well we'll link to that one in the show notes for the the episode but uh for folks they can listen to it now floribel uh evan thanks for taking some time and safe travels looking forward to seeing you at folk fest
2: i can't wait to get out there i'm so honored to be out there and uh to be able to be a part of such an amazing festival and uh yeah we'll see you then bum up
1: Passing like a desert rose with rouge on her cheeks In the sun upon her nose. Flora Bell, never one to fuss, she leaned to her will, scattered into dust. Flora Bell, stories that you tell. Why is this river, steep as, as that well, for a bell? Well, she raised a wild bunch, where a single mother can. In vow to herself, she would never feel that hand. Again, or ever Even in that small town Where the leaves Change their color Even 60s on down For bell the stories that you tell As wide as this river As deep as that well Oh e
0: Michael Ells, and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting Evan Redsky, who will be performing on Sunday, July 9th at 3 30 p.m. at Spruce Hollow at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 6th through 9th at Birds Hill Park.
1: As deep as their will for the for